Matthew, one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, a different way to understand place, how to think like a landscape architect. Your teacher is Elizabeth Mossop, Professor of Landscape Architecture at the University of Sydney. And she joins us in the studio. Good afternoon. Hi there, Richard. I, I nearly lost my teeth saying your name then, but... Elizabeth Mossop is here. There you go. I managed to put them back in. Uh, tell Tell us what a landscape architect is and does. A landscape architect uh, is a design professional who designs pretty much everything that's not a building. And they range across a really broad range of scales from tiny little, could be a tiny little courtyard or a garden, all the way through public spaces and parks up to neighbourhood scale or national park kind of conservation planning scale. Now, you say if we want to think like a landscape architect, what's crucial is to understand the layers of any site. So this might be your backyard or it might be the local park. It might be a you know, large uh, national park. But understand the layers. And we begin with the most basic layer of all, which is the, 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 the natural systems that are operating on this site. That's right. We tend to look at the landscape as if it's a given, you know, as if it's just there. But in fact, most of the landscapes that we ever see are made up of a whole series of different layers that happen over time, many of them involving human intervention, but underneath that all are the the natural systems. So starting at the very deepest kind of level with the geology and how this place came to be formed and where the landform came from. Okay, so in this Australian landscape, almost anywhere you're going to look at, the starting point is understand this is a very old continent and that influences then everything. Very, very old. Most of our landforms are landforms of erosion, you know, in marked contrast to somewhere like New Zealand where we have these dramatic volcanic landscapes. Uh, And also it means because it's so old, most of our soils, which come from the geology, are very old and very thin and often very nutrient poor as well. Mm -hmm. That's a very basic level of of this. Then bringing, I guess, the next layer up is, is stuff like waterways. For instance, if you're operating in a field that might be flooded, Exactly. And so, you know, you have a combination here of your climatic systems combined with the topography is going to determine if you have rivers or other kinds of drainage system or whether you are in an area that's marshy or swampy. Okay, so we've got, we've got the soil, then we've got these layers of, of water and climate. On top of them, of course, is the ecology, isn't it? The plants and animals that are there already. Yes, so you've got a whole network of living organisms that work together in a natural community. And so that is going to include all of the vegetation. You know, if you're in a woodland area, it might be the grasses and ground covers. You might have layers of shrubs or small trees, and then you might have an overstory of of tree canopy. You might also have fungi in the soil. And then you've got whatever the animals are in that woodland. You know, it's going to be insects, birds, maybe small mammals. But if you're in the city, this could be entirely different. Your vegetation could be lawn and trees from parks. And your animals could be the marvellous 
trifecta of the city, rats, bats and cats. Mm. Throw in some bin, uh, bin chickens as, as well. Uh, nonetheless, you've still got this uh, multi, multi-layered approach, haven't you? You've got the soil and you've got the natural climate and, and, and river systems and then you've got the, uh, this, uh, this ecology, whether it's imported or, or, or natural. Then you, have, you start thinking about the, the human interventions on this landscape and I suppose, the, again, it's a layering of these things, the first of which being the major infrastructure that's around it. Yes, and or even before that, you've got to think about ownership too, so that there's an invisible legal layer of titles and boundaries and things like that that controls who can do what. And then you do have this deepest layer of infrastructure. Could be roads and bridges, could be energy, could be water. These are the biggest systems that we make. They're really expensive and they... They last the longest of anything mm. we build. Okay. Then comes the, within the site itself, again, whether it's big or small, comes the built environment, doesn't it? Yeah. We think about buildings as being permanent, but, you know, all development has a certain kind of a lifespan. Sometimes buildings last for a really long time. If we think of things like the Parthenon in Athens or the Colosseum in Rome, but other kinds of buildings like, say, big box retail, they might last for as brief a time as 20 years. Or lots of cities have huge informal settlements like shanty towns, and those might have a very, very... Individual buildings might have a very short lifespan there. And somewhere like Rio, for instance. Somewhere like Rio, all of those favelas, those buildings might be turning over in five years or ten years or even less. Okay, which then brings us to the, I suppose, the highest level in this sort of thing that, that started off with the continent itself is the people on top of all of that. The people on top of all of that, which, if you ask me, are by far the most complicated Layer, But if you're going to be working in a place, you have to understand who is there, you have to understand about its history, what are the different communities that are interested in this, who are the property owners, who are the people who are not represented as stakeholders often, like children, and then... Where are these people coming from? What is their cultural framework? We all think about place and interaction differently depending on our life experience and our cultural background. So then you have to really figure out how to interact with people, how to find out this information. Often local communities are incredibly rich in local knowledge that you can't access any other way. It's not written down. It's not in books. And so that's one of the most complicated and rewarding and important layers of, uh, of information that you've got to try to understand. But that's what happens. So if we imagine the uh, landscape architect, turn, you know, Asheville Council, the Inner West Council has just asked you to renovate Asheville Park and you've walked onto the site, you're, you're hopefully, if you're doing your job right, seeing it in all those layers. Absolutely. And again, and it depends on the place exactly what is important. There might be some kind of big community conflict going on. You know, we want we want tennis courts, we want dog parks, those kinds of things. Or there might be really important historic trees which are going to limit what you can do. So 
But these are that's the sort of checklist of, of things and the kind of range of information that you're trying to both understand and synthesize and then make these decisions about what is most important. And you're often drawing things about a new design or a new plan out of what exists. Seeing the world through the eyes of a landscape architect, Professor Elizabeth Mossop, thank you so much. Thank you. Another self-improvement Wednesday. Uh, from Elizabeth Mossop this week, Professor of Landscape Architecture at the University of Technology, Sydney. You can listen again to her lesson online, abc.net.au slash sydney. Uh, there you'll also find details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. Next week, a lesson from Dr. Kirsty Sexel, vet and animal behavioural specialist. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week. <laughs> <laughs>